Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from the fourth chapter of St. Matthew with an emphasis on these words. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. In the season of Lent, it's a common practice for many in the church throughout the world to engage in a spiritual discipline called fasting. Now, fasting can take many forms, the most recognizable being to abstain from the intake of food for a set duration of time. Sometimes it's Wednesdays or Fridays. Sometimes it could be sunup to sundown. Mornings on the Sabbath in preparation for the sacrament of the altar. Or, most commonly for us, most likely, is giving up a specific, rich, or fatty food for the entirety of the Lenten season. However, many people also commit to giving up a form of entertainment, denying themselves alcohol, or taking on certain practices of service or devotion for Lent that are outside their usual norm. The goal of these things, at least in the Lutheran Church, is simple. To deny the flesh in order that we bring right attention to heavenly things. Now concerning this ancient practice, Martin Luther famously wrote in his treatise on Christian liberty, These works must not be done with any notion that by them a man can be justified before God. For faith which alone is righteousness before God will not bear with this false notion, but rather solely for this purpose, that the body may be brought into subjection and be purified from all evil lusts, so that our eyes may be turned only to purging away those lusts. For when the soul has been cleansed by faith and made to love God, it would have all things to be cleansed in like manner, and especially in its own body, so that all things might unite with it in the love and the praise of God. This practice in the church is inherited from the Jewish faith, which came before, where it served similarly as a form of ritual purification, which was kind of similar to their ceremonial laws for things like washing and cleanliness. But here, the goal of fasting was twofold. First, to present God's people Israel in a state of repentance so that they were ready to receive his gifts, his coming Messiah, when he came. And then secondly, to show themselves outwardly to their neighbors as a people who were set apart by God to declare him to all the nations. Now, these nations, mind you, often had practices and rituals and ceremonies and rites of their own, which largely stood in contrast to those mandated by Yahweh for the Israelites. These practices could vary drastically depending on which among a whole pantheon of gods they were trying to appease. Some of these pagan rituals, as recorded in the Bible, involved things that were relatively mundane, like feasts or festivals, like we observe in our own liturgical calendar. But then they could range all the way to practices like the consumption of blood, both human or animal, alcohol or drug use in order to bring on prophetic visions or some kind of enlightenment, or even ritual orgies, prostitution, 
and human sacrifice. In all these things, you might be noticing a common thread that runs through them. These rituals are all about appeasing an appetite, an appetite of the flesh or an appetite of the gods, turning outward to some physical sign or some worldly manifestation of the divine through entrenching yourself in excess. Want to make your god or your gods happy with you? Well, then bring out the wine, women, and song. In these ways, it was thought, you might entice one deity or another to look with favor upon you or your tribe. In this sense, the practice of fasting in both Judaism and in the Christian church could accurately be described as a reaction away from paganism, a reaction away from worldliness, from the base gratification of the sinful flesh. For when God established Israel, he established them as a holy people, a people set apart, a chosen nation. And as he did so, he planted them smack dab in the middle of a world which was positively teeming with hungry gods of all kinds. These gods demanded tribute, demanded blood, demanded excess. And in return, well, they would make false promises of excess for the people. Money, power, privilege, authority, possessions, gratification, whatever your heart desires, these could all be yours if only you jump through the right hoops, if only you pray the right words at the right time to the right God. But friends, of course, there was no power in these practices. There was no favor to be gained from these hungry gods, false gods, who would never be sated. For in truth, these were no gods at all. They were mere shadows and reflections of the sinful, selfish desires of fallen man. Therefore, God's people, the true God's people, would deny themselves of these worldly things in order that their attention might be given wholly to the one who could satisfy not just the daily desires of our flesh, but the eternal longing of our souls, the longing for forgiveness, the longing for deliverance from death and the devil. And so, on this first Sunday in the Lenten season, we enter Jesus in the wilderness of Judea at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4. In the text which came right before this reading, we saw Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan by John the Baptist. We saw how the clouds opened up and a voice from heaven declared concerning him, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now some of you might also remember that it was in this text, this baptism of Jesus, that we actually hear our Lord speak for the very first time in Matthew's gospel. As he is being baptized, he says to John the Baptist, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now this stands in quite stark contrast to those pagan rituals and practices that we just heard about. For Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, is perfectly righteous entirely of his own accord. He does not need to show external signs or virtues which prove him to be an upright man. For out of him flows all righteousness. By his very nature, Jesus 
That is, God the Son is wholly pleasing to his Father in heaven. Nevertheless, he still submits himself, first to a baptism in the Jordan River, to commence his office of sin-bearer for all the world. And now, immediately after, in the next chapter of Matthew, we see him led by the Spirit into the wilderness to submit himself again. This time, not to a baptism for purification, but rather to fasting and to temptation. But again, we have a question. Why? Why does Jesus, of all people, need to do this? The Father already said that he is pleasing to him. Jesus has already been established as perfectly righteous. What good, then, would this time of fasting do for the one man in all the world whose heart is already squared perfectly on heavenly things? Well, much like we confess about the baptism of Jesus, the answer is simple. That Christ does not go into the wilderness for his own sake, to prove himself to God. Rather, he goes into the wilderness for our sake. He goes to complete that task which you and I never could do. Be honest with yourselves for a moment this morning. As many of you give up something for Lent, how many of you follow through? How many of you stick to it 100%? Do you maybe give yourself a cheat day? Do you forget about it halfway through? Do you, like Israel, fail to live a life set apart for good works? Do you break the fast? I know my hand would go up. See how in the wilderness, then, Jesus, who is perfectly righteous, fulfills this righteousness for you. He keeps the fast. Matthew writes that for 40 days and 40 nights, he denies himself totally, preparing his body for the suffering that lies ahead of him in order to reconcile sinful man to his Father in heaven. At the end of these 40 days, Matthew records some of the most profound words in all of the Holy Scriptures. They're just three short words. He was hungry. And I'm not being facetious here. Try to think and wrap your heads around the implication of those three words. He, that is Jesus Christ, God the Son, in flesh like yours and mine, was hungry. Not like those hungry gods that we just heard about, demanding tribute and pleasure and excess. No, the true God in human form denies himself, empties himself totally, so that you and I might be satisfied. So then, what does Jesus hunger for? Not merely bread to fill his belly, though in his body he does no hunger like you and I do, but more than food, what the Christ most desires is to do his Father's will. Christ is hungry to bring about to completion that task for which the Father sent him. He is hungry to serve his people, hungry to deliver them, hungry to crush the serpent's head, hungry to reconcile us to our God. In the wilderness, Christ hungers for the cross. He hungers for the fulfillment of God's salvific plan. For on that cross, all righteousness is at long last 
fulfilled for our sake. The righteous sacrificed for us, for the unrighteous. The Christ of God emptied out again, even unto death, and poor, repentant sinners like you and me are filled to the brim with his life and light. Now against this righteous plan for man's salvation, we read, stands the old evil foe. The serpent from the garden, who in Matthew's account is called the tempter, but you and I probably know him more regularly as Satan. Satan is perhaps the hungriest of all those false gods we just discussed. For while pagan idols and graven images have no real power to do us harm, for they are nothing at all, Satan, I assure you, is quite real. His voice is the voice of the siren song, beckoning faithful men and women to turn from their God and to go after those fleeting treasures of a sinful world. Now in the wilderness, he comes face to face with the Christ. If he can get him to fall, if he can get him to stumble, then all hope for us would be lost. And so, the very first temptation he utters is to his belly. He says, fill yourself. And why not? Certainly you, Jesus, having the power of the Most High God, you could utter but a word. And you could command these stones to become bread. That is, that is if you are what the voice from the clouds declared. If you are the Son of God. Do you see the trick he plays here? How he tries to use the very word of God to cause Jesus to stumble? But still, Jesus sets his heart on heavenly things. Jesus keeps the fast. He says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So having once failed, the tempter tries a second time. Taking Jesus to the top of the temple, the holy seat for the Jewish people, he entices him, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That is, if you are the Son of God. Go on, Jesus. Prove it. And with the promise of power, the Christ is tempted again. But still he keeps the fast. Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now at last, Satan, in the desperate move that made Adam and Eve succumb to sin, he brings Jesus up higher still, to the top of a mountain where all the splendor and riches and majesty of all the kingdoms of the world are arrayed before Jesus in one fleeting moment, and he makes a promise that he cannot keep. He says, all these I will give you if you will but fall down and worship me. Yes, invites the tempter, forsake those things of God, which will lead to your suffering and death, and instead, feed yourself with excess. Pay your tribute not to your Father in heaven, but to those hungry gods of this mortal place. Yet even faced with wealth beyond all compare, Jesus keeps the fast. The Christ cries out against the tempter in righteous anger, Be gone, Satan. 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, behold, in the wilderness of sin and death, this Jesus, our Savior, comes out victorious, and Satan now goes away hungry. Righteous remains the Christ as he goes forth from the wilderness into Galilee, from Galilee into the Decapolis, from the Decapolis to Jerusalem, to the cross and the grave. He goes strong to deliver us, mighty to conquer the last and greatest foe, even death itself. In the face of all trials and tribulations of this world, your Savior has endured for your sake. He who kept the fast now comes to you this day to fill you with good things. Today, he calls you to his table to satisfy your hunger for righteousness in him. In his most righteous name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.